We continue this morning in the series that we've been going through, um, paying attention to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to Jacob. And, and last week you'll remember the story of Jacob as he had tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright, but then also the father's blessing. Esau is determined to kill him, and so he flees. He runs from home, making his way to Haran, where he has some family there, and also where he has decided to seek a wife. So he's running away from home, but he's pursuing a new home and hopefully a new future. And it's in between these two places that he lays down, rests his head upon a stone, falls asleep, and has a dream of a ladder which extends from earth into heaven with angels ascending and descending upon it. The Lord standing above the ladder in the heavens, over all the heavens and the earth. And the Lord promises to Jacob covenant promises. The same ones that he has given to Abraham and Isaac are now passed down to Jacob. And Jacob learns that he will be blessed, that he might be a blessing, that he will be the father of a great nation, and that the Lord will never leave him nor forsake him. Echoing those words of Christ at his ascension. And so we pick up today as Jacob makes his way from this place where he's received this vision and this covenant promise from God on up to Haran. He's made it all the way there and he encounters then some men. He says, do you happen to know a man named Laban? They said, yes, we do. This is where he lives. In fact, there is one of his daughters, Rachel, coming with the sheep to water them here at this well. And... It seems as though it must have been love at first sight because Jacob decides he wants to marry Rachel. Uh, he's arrived. He's, he's made it. And so our story this morning picks up at this point, And we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 29, beginning with verse 15. Laban, of course, being Rachel's father. I invite you to listen carefully and listen well. This too is the word of the Lord. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go to her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went to her. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me. Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this first one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. 
Jacob did so. Pleaded her weak, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this was a bit of a challenging text and passage for me this week. It's not so easy or straightforward as ones that we've um, been studying so far. And there are things that, you know, strike our, mo- uh, our modern sensibilities as being a bit off or, or different. And so as I was working through this, something um, gave me, I think, kind of a key to unlocking what, what this story is about, at least in the preaching of it this morning. And that kind of key came as I was looking, because these are such great narrative stories. The, the Bible is not just a list of rules for us, but we are given these, these actual stories into which we are invited to share um, as the story continues with us. And so as I was looking at the structure of how stories actually take shape, the patterns inherent to a narrative... Um, something happened about halfway through that I said, oh, I think I see what the message is for us this morning. And so we'll get to that in a minute, but what I want to do first is to show you the pattern of this particular kind of story. And in order to do that, I'm going I'm to trace that out through a few different examples. So because we started reading The Hobbit again in our house, second time through, you've heard me mention it before, I'm going to use The Hobbit. You know, maybe it's familiar to you, maybe it's not. It's the story of, you know, from J.R.R. Tolkien about The Hobbit who is taking on a great adventure to go and to find a treasure that has been uh, stolen by a great dragon, Smog. And so it's this journey there and then back again. Uh, We're going to look at that and see how it unfolds and see some familiar patterns. And then secondly, this hopefully is a little more familiar. We're going to look at the Exodus because it follows a very similar shape. In fact, so too does Jacob's story follow this familiar arc. And the pattern opens up for us. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. So first, what's the pattern? A few stages. The first is a call, a call to adventure, a call to leave home, basically. And we've been talking about home recently because of, well, Esau loved to go out into the wilderness, but Jacob was a man who loved where? To be at home, a quiet life, which was comfortable and predictable and maybe, knowing Jacob as we do, controllable to a greater extent. Home is where our our identity is safe and protected by layers of things so that we don't have to fear quite so much the uncertainties of life. You have to leave home, though, in this familiar story arc. Uh, There's a call, a call to adventure, a call to change in some sense that you can't have otherwise unless you leave the place where you're comfortable. And so in these stories, when you leave on this call to adventure, you enter into a journey. And this journey has some ups and downs and trials and tribulations, but it eventually brings you to the third part. You arrive at your destination, seemingly in this, well, time where you're ready to receive all that's sort of been promised to you and that you hoped for, and yet it's at this point where you are 
frustrated, uh, where it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be, and that prepares you in the end uh, for a change in your character so that you can actually receive that which has been your goal. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you that your life, your life, actually, the way that you formulate it in your mind takes a narrative shape and form. If you uh, bump into somebody at the grocery store and they say, well, how's it going? You tell them a story. Well, this is what's been happening to me, and then this happened, and then this happened, and here's what I'm thinking about moving forward. We tell about our lives in the form of story. You process it as a story. And so what I want you to be doing now is be thinking about, you know, you've been called on the, the greatest adventure of your life with God. And yet there are also places in your life where things aren't as easy as you hoped they would be. You might be frustrated at various points. I want you to be thinking about, okay, what needs to change in me? How is that showing me the alterations that God wants to make in who I am so that I can receive in, in greater fullness the plans and purposes God has for my life. So let's trace out those stages with these different stories. So first, the call, uh, the hobbit. Bilbo, the story begins with Bilbo, the hobbit, sitting outside his hobbit hole, which is marked by great comfort and many, many pantries full of lots and lots of food. And we meet Bilbo on his front stoop with a pipe reclining his feet up blowing smoke rings in the early morning. It is the picture of comfort, and I don't have anything else to do, and I'm totally fine with that. It's into the midst of this perfect uh, scene that Gandalf the wizard appears. And Gandalf is the one who invites Bilbo on an adventure, and he's like, no, no, I don't think I'm interested in that. And yet he really doesn't have a choice. In this call-to-adventure stage, it becomes in some degree inevitable that you have to leave. And so, you know, this is a fantastical story. A bunch of dwarves show up for, for breakfast the next morning and basically take Bilbo with him whether he likes it or not. He's on an adventure. You think about the story of the Exodus. God's people are enslaved and they can't take it anymore. After 400 years, they're crying out to God in the midst of their slavery. And God hears their cries and sends Moses to negotiate with Pharaoh, who then leads them out of their bondage. There's, there's a force behind them that, that propels them. They're trying to get away from slavery, right? But there's also the attraction that is drawing them the possibility of freedom and a new identity with God. See how that call to adventure happens. Eventually, they have no choice. They pack up, they make their way, and then Pharaoh's pursuing them with his armies. Something pushes them out, and yet they also long for something that is ahead. They can't enter into freedom without leaving home. Home doesn't have to be great. In their case, it was a terrible one. But now they're on this adventure. They've, they've heard the call. They've responded. For Jacob... Okay, Jacob has just what? He has left his home, right? Jacob has left home. Why? There's a force that's pushing him away. What is that? He's terrified Esau is going to kill him. There's a force getting him out of there, but there's also attraction ahead of him in Haran. What is it? Re yes, there's a longing for a wife and a new identity that might take shape there. A new home of sorts. 
a place of identity and safety, but also newness of life. So you see Jacob. He's following the same story arc. He's answered the call. He really had no choice. Neither did Bilbo nor the Hebrews. They're, they're actually on the adventure now, whether they like it or not. Now, the second stage is the journey stage. And this is when the main character in a story tends to cross various forms of terrain. And the terrain symbolizes the various kinds of struggles and challenges that they face. So Bilbo has to go across the marshes and the bogs and eventually cross the high misty mountains. And they try to cross, but they can't. And so what they have to do is they have to go deep under the mountain, down into the mines of Moria, where if I remember the story right, Bilbo is stabbed. It is completely dark down there, and they have to light their way. He's stabbed, and then eventually comes back up miraculously after the goblins have pursued him out into the light. Now that should... Uh, raise our attention just a little bit because in the journey portion of a story, there is typically a pattern of death and rebirth. He goes, he can't go over the mountain. He has to go down to the very depths where the goblins are. Sounds like demons. They're trying to poke them, right? And then after receiving a wound, he comes back up into the day. This happens in the Exodus account as well, because after the Hebrews flee Pharaoh, it happens right away, doesn't it? Various forms of terrain. The sea is parted, and they cross over to the other side, and the waters come back and destroy their enemies. On one side of the sea, they were slaves. On the other side of the sea, they are now set free by the God who has claimed them. And so they get to the other side of the water, this experience of rebirth and renewal, and now they are a new people having a new life together, and they worship, they celebrate. You see how that pattern happens. And then, of course, as they cross terrain, which represents various kinds of trials, they make their way across the wilderness desert to the mountain of God, and then eventually they come to the very edge of the promised land where God is leading them. That's the middle section, this journey to get almost to the point that they long for. Jacob. What happens with Jacob? Jacob leaves his home and he has to take a journey across the country all the way up into the north to Haran. But on his journey, what happens? The death and rebirth experience. He lays down his head on a rock and he goes to sleep. In essence, it's a mini death, a little death. Every time you go to sleep at night, it's like a little death. You're practicing, actually, in a way. That's why we pray things like, Now I'll lay me down to sleep. Ask the Lord our souls to keep, right? It's, we're practicing for our death. And what happens in the morning? We're raised up anew. The Lord's brought us back. And the same thing will happen when you actually die, right? And so Jacob lays down his head, goes to sleep. In the midst of his sleep, he has this vision where God promises that he will be his God, that he'll bless him, that he has plans for him, a future that he won't leave him. And then he wakes up and he is a different person. On one side of this little death, he was a deceiver, a liar, a trickster, one who stole, stole from his family, stole from his own father. On the other side of this Death and rebirth, he's now one who's been laid hold of by God. God who promises him 
things that will unfold in his life as he moves into the future. And he continues on his journey, even till he gets to Haran, right at the precipice, right at the edge of all that he's been hoping for. Now, in all of these experiences, once you get to that boundary line, you're You've, you've passed through some trials, but in story, you come to just kind of almost the point where you're about to receive everything you'd hoped for. Bilbo comes to the lonely mountain where the huge pile of gold rests, but when he gets there, he's frustrated. He can't take hold of what he hopes for because Smog the dragon is laying on top of it, right? He can't just go in and get it for himself. He stopped. It's not going to be as easy as he hoped. In the Exodus account, the people go across the water, death, rebirth. They come to the mountain of God. They're given promises by God. They cross the desert and they come to the edge of the promised land. They send spies into the land to see how it is. And they come back and they say, what? There are giants in the land. We can't go in there. Oh, let us go back to Egypt. It wasn't going to be as easy as they thought. Their, fr- their desires are frustrated. They can't lay hold of the thing as easily as they had hoped. What happens to Jacob? Jacob comes to the land that he's been looking for. And the first thing that happens, he asks, you know Laban? Yeah, we know Laban. There's his daughter. He sees Rachel and falls in love with Rachel. Everything he's been hoping for, it's just working out perfectly until, until Laban says, sure, you can marry Rachel, but work for me and serve with me for seven years, and then you can marry her. And then it's Leah the next day. Jacob has been Jacobed, hasn't he? The name Jacob means deceiver, Remember? Jacob has been deceived at the very moment where he thought he was going to get everything that he had longed for and hoped for when it was all going to come right. He'd been tricked. He had been manipulated. He had been lied to. Everything that had been true about him in his early life was now coming back to him in some sense. Now, here's the, here's the key. This is, the, this is how this story was sort of opened up and, and, and unlocked for me. In stories, after the call, after the journey, after you come almost to the point you're, the, the main character is about to receive everything, at that moment of frustration, that moment where it gets a lot more difficult than you thought it would be, this, these outward circumstances that block you are actually in the story what show us these outward things are the things that show us the inner changes that need to take place in the main character. They're not yet mature enough to enter into what they hope for. It's true of Bilbo. Bilbo comes to the great treasure. There it is, a mountain of gold, but smog's on top of it. The whole challenge for Bilbo, the whole story long, was that he will become a person of courage and of wisdom. He wasn't yet ready to take the gold. Courage and wisdom. In fact, after Smog dies and then Bilbo comes in, guess what rushed on to the scene? Everybody else clamoring 
trying to take the gold and claim it for themselves. And in the end of the story, spoilers, uh, Bilbo is the one who is, is wise enough to negotiate between all the parties and have a just resolution to everybody's claim. And in fact, it is a great act of courage that he enters into in order to make this happen. Wisdom and courage. He wasn't ready to just go in yet. The outward thing that stopped him revealed the inner change that was needed, and when he eventually matures enough to do it, then he enters in. It's true for the Exodus account. The people had been called out of Egypt on this great adventure with God. They passed in the death and rebirth through the sea. They'd heard God's word from on high, and they were trying to live that out through the wilderness. They come to the very edge of the land, hoping this land flowing with milk and honey was now theirs to lay hold of. But they discovered in that outward experience of these giants blocking their entry, the fact that they did not actually yet trust God. And so they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, growing, maturing, changing. In fact, it wasn't that generation that entered into the land of promise. It was the next one. The little ones who had only known the desert and had only known trusting God day in and day out for manna and water, etc., they were the ones who knew that if God could take care of us all this long way, He can take care of a few giants in the land. So they, they enter into it. But there was a, a maturation, not just for one person, but for a whole people. So there's implications here, not just for you, but for us. It's also true for Jacob. It's the key that unlocked the story for me. Jacob comes to this land Everything is right there before him, but then he's deceived. And it reveals in Jacob's own life that he's not yet mature enough to receive God's promise. And yet his response, Jacob's response to Leah and not Rachel and having to work seven more years reveals a different Jacob. See, when I heard that Laban had tricked Jacob, I thought, oh man, what is Jacob going to do now? Right? The liar, the thief, the manipulator, the one who twists things, who claims things, who, who works it out always to his own ends. Jacob's inherent problem was that he was completely selfish. The whole world and everyone else revolved around Jacob. And he would take and grab and get to serve himself. And now he thought he was about to enter in to this new stage of life, all his dreams coming true, and he learns he's not yet ready. Seven more years. That should sound familiar to anyone who knows Genesis. Seven more years in which we're shocked. Nothing dramatic happens. Jacob just serves seven more years and then marries Rachel. With patience. Not twisting things around to his own ends, but, and it's said over and over, serving Laban. The difference here, I believe, 
is what moves. See, this is what's revealing the change that has to take place in Jacob. The difference here, I believe, is that Jacob is moving from being self-centered to being a person oriented by love. Do you see that happening in him? Why was he able to serve seven years and it was like a few days? The text tells us because he loved Rachel. Love is what changes Jacob's heart. God's love which has claimed him and promised him something, he's no longer rushing around and in a crazy hurry. He's actually learning confidence that when God promises something, well, I can wait on that. I don't have to force my way in. I can operate under a different principle. And we actually see Jacob becoming a person of love. The same, I think, is true for you. I want... Here's the, here's, the, here's the way it's going to hopefully become personal for you. Where are the places in your life, which you understand as a story unfolding, where are the places in your life where you are continually finding yourself frustrated? Where are you frustrated in a given week? Over and over it seems like the same stuff gets you, bothers you, annoys you. Where are the places in your life where you just keep wanting more but you can't seem to quite get there. I think if you look at those moments, those places, those experiences, it will begin to reveal to you these outward things, the inner transformation that maybe God is calling you towards. And certainly a big foundational part of that is how we become less self-centered and people more oriented by love, willing like Jacob to serve, willing like Jacob to be patient, willing like Jacob to wait, willing like Jacob to be oriented towards the good of another. I offer that to you because those frustrating places aren't necessarily fun, but it might be the exact place where God is actually wanting to work in your life. And if you're like Jacob, you might just be surprised by what you find there. Wasn't it a surprise for Jacob when he wakes up in the morning and there's Leah? The one he, he actually didn't want? As his life unfolds and the story of it, some interesting things happen in regards to Leah. Leah is the one who at the end of her life, Jacob chooses to be buried with him in his family plot. Rachel, by other circumstances, was buried elsewhere. Leah is the one that in the beginning was not his intended. But something changed over time, didn't it? But secondly, and maybe more dramatically, Leah gives birth, well, to some sons, one of whom is named Judah. And Jesus was born in the tribe of Judah. And Scripture speaks of Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jacob didn't know that in the beginning. 
And yet it is principally and primarily in this place which he sensed in the beginning as frustration. That was the specific place where Christ literally entered into the world. And so it might be true in your life. In the moments of frustration you have, maybe that reveals the change in character that God wants to make in you, but maybe that's the exact place where Christ will appear as a gift now to others. These stories, they strike our modern sensibilities as very different. The law that God gives later says that you're not marrying cousins anymore. Jesus clarifies for us that God has intended marriage to be between a man and a woman and not multiple spouses. So these are stories that feel like they're off a little or far from us, and yet actually when you enter into them, they're, goodness, if they're not for you, I don't know who they're for. If they're not for me, if they're not for us. Let's enter into them a, a bit further. Let's wrestle with Jacob and allow the Lord to lay hold of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.